Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. All right, folks, welcome to yet another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caraggio, and we are thrilled to begin the day to have our guest is, uh, is Charles Chuck Stokes. We're going to call you Chuck. Chuck. Um, to talk about um, high reliability, but other things. We're going to talk about personal leadership. We're going to talk about governance. We're going to cover a bunch of stuff here in the next 15, 20 minutes. But before we get to that, let me give you folks a little bit of background on Chuck because there is a lot to get to, and I want to... Uh, kind of read off his resume if I could. He's recently announced his retirement as president and CEO of Memorial Hermann Health System over there in Houston. Prior to that, though, he served as their executive vice president and COO from 2008 to 2017. His tenure in healthcare leadership began over 35 years ago. Now, under Chuck's leadership, North Mississippi Medical Center and Memorial Hermann's Sugarland Hospital became Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award recipients in, uh, twice, in 2006 and in 2016. Uh, he also serves as immediate past chairman of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Uh, on the board there, he's certified in uh, healthcare management as an ACHE fellow. He has served as an ACHE faculty member at Congress and for other ACHE uh, educational programs for the past decade. Uh, Chuck serves on the Houston Holocaust Museum Board and on the board of the Children's Defense Fund. He is an adjunct faculty member at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Chuck, thank you so much for being on the Healthcare Executive Podcast. You bet. Chris. Did I get it all? Good, good morning. Did I sort of get it all? That's enough. Okay. That's I mean, <laughs> that's, that's probably enough. Okay. I got yeah. it. I got it. Let's talk. I, I mentioned the Baldridge Award, sure. uh, 2006, 2017, right? right? Talk about. Talk about what that means and, and, and how much work it takes to achieve that. Sure. Well, let, let me, I'll frame it from the standpoint of why is it important? Why okay. is it important for people to pursue the Baldridge yes. Award? And so there's two things. There's one about pursuing awards, and then there's about using the Baldridge framework as a responsible way to run your organization. And so that's really where, what I would encourage people uh, why to get it, why to get on the Baldrige journey and the main reason is it's a responsible way to run your organization it is about organizing your work and around your customers so that your customer focus that you're able to manage your metrics within your organization and it's an opportunity for you to use objective data to get better and to get better faster okay. and to get better than your competition and so in today's healthcare world, I mean, there's, you know, there's five different organizations that um, are, are Baldridge eligible uh, for, to be a recipient. But in healthcare, because of the just accelerated, just warp speed of change in the industry today, the Baldridge framework is a good model of care just to say, how do we stay focused on our patients? And today, consumerism in healthcare is even more important. But at the end of the day, it's about results. And uh, that's what we want to you know, use strategic planning, use customer focus, use engagement with your employees and engagement with your um, physicians to drive those results. And so what I tell people is don't worry about the award. Just use the criteria. Just use the, cr the framework. It's a responsible way to run your organization. Yes, yeah, strive for that, right? Yeah. Have that in yeah. your mind, right? right. 
Um, and how, if you if you get the award, the, that's that's just a land. Yeah, I got okay. it. Yeah, I, but but when you did get the award yes. tw- twice, um, how, how proud were you? Was that oh, like sure. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I would imagine what a celebration that was. Yes, right? well, it is the highest quality award presented in the country, and it used to be given by the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's changed in the more, more recent years, but it used to be presented by the President of the United States every year. But it is the highest, uh, it's the Academy Awards of quality in in the organization. And of course, it's a team effort. There's nobody, there's no one person that drives that in the organization. Everybody has to be on this journey together. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart, and it does take resources, and you have to be committed to it. There's no kind of like wading into it. You have to go in and say, we're committed to using this criteria. And there's no way to achieve that. There's no way unless you have expertise, unless you execute um, leadership and, and the, the, the right way. Am, am I right? So that that's kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to ask you about because you are an expert in, in well, first, what, what's your definition of personal leadership when it comes to, when it comes to administrative roles in the healthcare space? Well, What's the best it's way? Just, it's just leading by example. I yeah. mean, because, you know, when you're the leader, it's like you're always on stage, okay? So from the moment that you walk through the front door, everybody is looking at you. That they spotlight's are, there, right? Right. And they're, you know, they're looking to see what side of the bed did you wake up on this morning? <laughs> so, you know, they want to make sure you're kind of the first in the hallway to say good morning. But you're always on stage as a leader, and your leadership team is always on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to, it's like lead by example. You have to, um, you, you have to, you have to, you have to show people that you're enthusiastic about your work. Uh, you have to be honest. You have to be very transparent with people because people are smart. Your employees pick up. If they think that there's something wrong or you message, they, they see right through that. Mm-hmm. And so being very transparent, being open, being very honest with them, and especially when you get into the areas like high reliability. I mean, uh, organizational transparency and honesty with that is paramount. And you can't get to high reliability without being open and honest. And so from a leadership standpoint, it's about being out there every day talking about those, kind of those issues to the organization. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, no. if you hear the words, you're like, oh, that's common sense. I can do that. It's not an easy right. thing to do. It takes courage, doesn't it? It takes a lot of courage, absolutely. And, and, but that's how you get better. Is, and it's some, it never gets easier, but the thing is when you deal with really kind of hairy topics and, and the really challenging topics or the very unpopular topics in front of your team, your team get a comfort level with dealing with that. And then it kind of gets to be part of the culture. Well, we talk about this stuff all the time. And so, but that's, as a leader, it's everybody's looking to you to start those conversations, show the organization, show the leadership team, this is how we have these convers- difficult conversations within the organization. And that goes back to what you were saying before about the Baldridge. Strive for that every day, every right? Day. And, then, and then it becomes part of the culture. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Let's move into this uh, on the topic of governance. Uh, what do you see as the biggest struggles for executives, uh, physician executives, um, when, they, when, when they go to the boardroom? 
when 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 those things kind of that that transition right so most boards today in healthcare they they have to have the clinical representation and they usually the two big biggest groups are physicians and nurses uh, that um, that represent the clinical side of the business so physicians one of the biggest challenges for the physicians is industry knowledge outside of being a being a physician mm-hmm. And so in ACHE, for example, one of the fastest growing segments of our ACHE membership is physician executives because there are more physicians today running health plans, running physician organizations, running hospitals, and running health groups. So we have a responsibility as an education association to train physicians to to do that. When they come into the boardroom and when they become part of governance, Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge that I've seen over my 40 years is watching physicians uh, step away from, I am here to represent uh, my constituency of physicians versus I am here to exercise my fiduciary of being a board member. Now, that's very conflicting because physicians grow up saying, well, my role on the board is to represent, and you do represent the voice of the physician, but when you step into the governance role, you are representing the organization of which you are part of their board. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes is a really conflicting role for physicians to be able to separate themselves from. How, how, do, they, how do you get that skill set then? How do, you, how do you accomplish that? You come to programs like ACHE. Yeah, uh, you come you to Congress, and we give you training about how to separate that. But, uh, you know, the, it's the duty of loyalty and, and uh, those of serving on a board. And it is not being loyal back to your physicians. And, and physicians have a hard time with that. Well, I, anyone would have a hard time with that, right, to make that transition. That's why, you know, the, the executive leadership coaching, yes. is, like you said, is imperative, right? right? And there's top-notch people doing that coaching. That's correct. Right, right. Um, let's talk about, because you, um, you know, uh, how many decades? You said f- four. Four, four decades. Wow. Um, how is healthcare administration, this is a perfect question for you, how has it changed? What, what, what are some of the bigger changes you have seen decade to sure. decade? Well, when I graduated from graduate school uh, in healthcare administration, success was defined as you have to either become a CEO or a COO of a hospital or a health system. And that's really how success was, was um, measured back in the day. Uh, over the last two decades, our industry has evolved, and it's no longer success is not defined as being the CEO of a hospital or a health system because today there are other just as important parts of our system. So there's the acute care there's ambulatory, there's post-acute care, there's the physician organization, there's the health plan, and, uh, and now there's, you know, like technology enterprises within healthcare organizations. And so all of those are important, and they're inextricably tied to each other. And so being the CEO or COO or the senior executive or whatever title you want to use mm-hmm. as part of one of those parts of the organization, that's success. I mean, that it is just like me being becoming a COO uh, when I got out of school, my first COO job. Well, if you're the today, half a lot of people half their revenue or more than half their revenue in their organization comes from the ambulatory side. 
And so if you're running the ambulatory side, your voice is really important. And so th that's, one of the major, that's one of the major changes about uh, healthcare. And then, you know, going forward, it's, um, it's really all the technology that's coming along that's really going to change, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole model of healthcare. Uh, when you think about the implications for genomics and for precision medicine, and what are the moral and ethical implications for having that knowledge about healthcare? So, for example, the whole the genome sequencing that used to be a sixty to a seventy thousand dollar test. Today, we have people that have that test now under uh, one thousand dollars. It's almost like a twenty three and me yeah. two you know two hundred dollar test. Uh, give me a tube of blood, spit in the tube, and I'm going to tell you in high and high probability and specificity about your propensity to get type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, colon cancer, a brain tumor, or Parkinson, or some other, you know, malady that is that might happen in your lifetime. And there's a high degree of uh, success about that information. Now, just think about if you knew that at our age, it might be one thing. You would really like to know that about your children. And if your child was 22 or 24 years old and they said they had a 80% chance of probability of getting type 2 diabetes by the time they're 55, well, your child might change their dietary habits and change their exercise habits, but they still might get type 2 diabetes, but they get it at 75 as opposed to 55. And then they don't have that 20-year uh, time frame there where they get kidney disease, vascular disease, heart disease. It changes a life. It changes a life. Yeah. And you really might want to know that about your grandchild is what, what, how would life change? And in your child or your grandchild, what if you knew that they had a 75% chance of getting Alzheimer's by the time they're 60? People would actually make different choices about how they live their life and what they were going to do with their life. So what's changed about healthcare administration is think about the moral and the ethical implications of leading an organization that patients come into that have that knowledge. What are the different types of models of care would you have? And it's like, it's not coming, it's already here. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's literally all, already here. Yeah. So, again, you have to shift. Yeah. You have to shift as the times shift, as technology right. catches up. Um, so, and this is a great follow-up question to that. So, what's your PE? And you're the perfect guest for this. So, what's your, and you, you've already done it, but if you can crystallize it a little bit, what are your pieces of advice for someone listening right here that, that, that is moving into or, or, or will try to achieve in, in, to getting into that C-suite and how to be successful in there. What are some of your pieces of advice? Yeah, so um, developing your career track, there are several things. Is one, um, you have to be very intentional about that. And actually what I would suggest to younger uh, executives is commit your goals to writing and say writing. to writing, okay. put down, I, I want a plan, I want a specific development plan for my career. Put pen to and paper. Put right? pen to paper and put that down. And then sit down with your boss and say, um, what 
are realistic timeframes for me to achieve the next level that I have to get to to either expand my scope in, in, in my current job or to get another title or to advance in the organization. And then on a regular basis, not once every six months and certainly not once a year at like a, um, an evaluation, sit down with your boss and say, how am I doing towards these goals that you and I agreed on that would advance me in the organization or, um, or you know, help me, help me move along? And I think that um, having that check-in. And then, uh, you know, I think that uh, executives have to take the time to come to programs like ACHE or other programs to uh, learn uh, and, and part of one of our core values is at ACHE is lifelong learning. They have to develop the habit of continuously learning about new technology, new things, <coughs> excuse me, new things in the industry, and that they become continuous learners. And, uh, and then at some point in time, I think that, I mean, I'm biased on this, this is my own bias, that People have to go experience other organizations. Uh, one of the things I've noticed in my career is when people have a tendency to stay in an organization for like 15 or 20 years, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they get very myopic about, about what's possible and what their organization is capable of. And if they've been in other organizations or other parts of the industry, sometimes they reinvent themselves and they say, hey, here's a new way that I can show up in my job or I can advance to another, to another industry. Yeah, you get caught in your bubble, right? And you, you absolutely yeah. get mm -hmm. caught in your bubble. So being mobile, again, it's, there's a little bit of fear, though. That's yeah. what keeps people, right? That, right. you know, you kind of have to overcome that. Again, the courage thing, right? To step out. It, it does. But, but at the same time, it takes, um, it takes you, can, you can damage. I think you can do things that are detrimental to your career, by not stepping out sure. and doing that. Mm -hmm. and, the, and I think the other thing is you have to have realistic expectations about when you advance. So, um, you know, today uh, sometimes uh, younger people in their career say, I'm ready to step into that job. And it's like, well, no, you're really not because you haven't had these experiences here and you need these experiences to step into this, to this new role. And that's why getting clarity around that with your boss, getting feedback on a regular basis. Everybody needs feedback. Mm -hmm. Feedback is a gift, and you only give gifts to people that you care about, okay? So even if the feedback stings a little bit, I would only tell you that because I care about you as a person. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, or, but I'm telling you this is how I see you advancing your career. And that's a, that's a good way to neutralize when, when we have to have the candid conversation with people, and we all do that, is one good way to neutralize that candid conversation with somebody uh, to keep them from getting defensive about that is say, I'm getting ready to tell you some information. Might sting a little bit, but the, just remember the only reason that I'm telling you this is because I care about you as a person. Because if you're going at the wall at 80 miles an hour, somebody might be telling you to step on the gas. And I'm just saying, right. only a good friend or a coach would tell you, uh, let me tell you how you're showing up at this meeting. And so every executive needs a coach or they need a good friend at work that'll come in, shut the door, and say, hey, 
you have no clothes on, okay? Yeah. You just got out of that meeting, and let me tell you what the nonverbal behavior I saw around the room. Let me tell you what I heard the feedback after the meeting. Here's how you showed up. You were very obtuse. You were, you know, or you were very, you know, autocratic in the in your approach or something. But it's feedback. It's feedback. And yeah, it, using the sports analogy, yeah. it's like if a coach never says anything to you, that's the problem, mm-hmm. right? You know, he can he can get on you and get on you and get on you, but he cares about you then, right? right? Yes. And and I would say one other thing on um, career building is. I think we have to recognize in today's environment, you have a multi-generational workforce in the, in the environment. So we have uh, pre-baby boomers, we have baby boomers like myself, we have, um, we have the Xer and Yers or millennials, mm-hmm. and then we have Generation Z. And, yeah. and so we've got this multi-generational workforce. And I think that what people like my generation have to understand is mm-hmm. Uh, the other generations have a different uh, thought about how they face their work. And what we have to be careful of as baby boomers is not to be judgmental about, about, their, about, their, about their work-life balance and those kind of things. Uh, with me, I, you know, I never even heard that term, work-life work balance. It's like we just did whatever we were told to do when we were get, getting out of school. And so uh, what leaders today have to realize is uh, employees are not committed to Memorial Hermann. They are committed to what they do. They're committed to being a nurse. They're committed to being a doctor. They're committed to being a pharmacist, mm-hmm. respiratory therapist, whatever it is. Uh, their expectation of a Memorial Hermann is, what is it that you're going to do for me to advance my career? How are you going to help me grow as a professional? How are you going to sustain my career? What are you going to do for me to help grow? Now, you can take that from the standpoint is, well, it's only about them. They only care about them. You have to, my personal feeling is, you have to look at that as, this is not a right or wrong issue. This is just the way it is. And so you you have to make sure that you do not become judgmental. Because when you become judgmental about that person's desire for uh, work-life balance or what they want to do in their own time, mm-hmm. uh, you've, lost, you've lost the engagement piece <clears throat> with that individual. Because being with their kids, spending time with their family, spending time traveling might be more important. That's for them to make a decision on that. That's not for me to decide that they either care or don't care about the organization or about our patients. Mm-hmm. And that gets a lot of executives in trouble with uh, the engagement piece of the workforce. And so, you know, in the Baldrige framework is if the formula for success in that is if you have engaged employees, engaged physicians doing quality work, great patient experience, you never have to worry about your financials. You will be financially su- successful, and then you'll have the resources to continue to grow. And I've been in seven different organizations. I have never seen anybody do those first four really stellar and financially was in the toilet. I've never seen that. Yeah. But if you don't do those first four, engaged employees, engaged physicians, great experience and quality service, uh, the financials are inextricably more de- uh, difficult to achieve. 
Well, this has been. Thank you so much sure. for being here. How, now so, retirement's coming quickly, so right? Well, t- tell me, yeah, do you have plans? What What yeah. are you gonna? Well, you have to retire to something. I don't. People like me just don't retire, so you have to retire to something. To something. And so my uh, retirement to will probably be in terms of teaching. I'll go back to teaching, Great. and uh, I'll probably and help coach and mentor students mm-hmm. uh, that are coming into the field. Well, uh, obviously, I think you're, that's the right course. Anybody listening to this podcast can see that that's what would be perfect for you because right. Uh, that's right in line with, with everything you said here today. Chuck, thank you. let me shake your hand. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Absolutely. sir. Thank, thank you. you. We really appreciate you, and, and good luck in all your future thank endeavors, you. and congratulations with everything you've accomplished. Sure. Um, folks, um, don't forget to subscribe to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I say it every time, but we, uh, you know, this is new, but uh, we've done a bunch now, and we don't want you to miss any future episodes. I am your host, Chris Caraggio. We will definitely see you next time.